Remember your words to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise pre- preserves my life. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the themes of my song whenever, wherever I lodge. In the night, Lord, I remember your name that I may keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. It's Leviticus chapter 26, uh, verses uh, 1 to 20. Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful, To obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops, and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food you want, and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor, and make you fruitful, and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases, and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. If after all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. 
Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruit. Good morning. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we give you great thanks for the privilege we have to uh, gather on Sunday mornings to uh, hear your word read and uh, to learn from it. We do pray that it would so teach us uh, to live a life of obedience and faith uh, in you at all times. Help us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, does it matter how we approach things? Uh, would it matter if I went to a job interview wearing shorts and thongs? Well, maybe I'd get away with it over Zoom and, well, maybe I'm doing it now. But if it was in person, does it matter? Does it matter if we wear formal clothes to weed the garden? Does it matter how we approach a significant exam? Does it matter how we behave down the street at work or at the library? Does it matter? Well, of course it matters. We want to leave a good impression in a job interview. And so unless the job's at a, a surf club, well, we wouldn't wear shorts and thongs. Uh, we would wear old clothes to weed the garden and we will study our best for an all-important exam. You see, it matters how we behave depending on the situation. And so we would wear a mask if we're down the street and we would follow our workplace etiquette, which will be different depending on the workplace. And we will speak quietly at the library. But what about as God's people? Does it matter how we live? We've been making our way through uh, the book of Leviticus and we've seen that they were to live holy lives because God was holy. God had rescued them out of slavery. He had brought them into relationship with him. He'd saved them first before he'd given them the law. But then he expected his people to be holy like he is holy. And so the question remains, does it matter how they live? And in Leviticus chapter 26, we see that it does. Because they would be blessings for obedience. Have a look here from verse 3. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. If they will follow and, and listen and live according to God's word, his commands, if they obey the Lord, it will go well for them. God will provide for them materially, like with rain to grow good crops and produce bumper harvests. There will be protection. They will enjoy periods of peace. And God will be present among them. You see, it is good to obey the Lord. It is good to be part of God's people because he will look after them and provide for them and give them peace. But how do they know that God will bless them? How do they know and trust that what God says is true? Well, it's because he's already done it. Have a look there from verse 13. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. 
I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. How do they know that God will do what he says, that he'll bless them? Well, he's already done it. You see, they've seen it firsthand. They were slaves in Egypt, and yet he broke the the yoke and burdened the harsh labor they faced in Egypt. And he brought them out of that and into a relationship with himself. He's already blessed them, and he'll continue to bless them if they obey his good word. But you see, this isn't some ladder they need to climb as if to be rescued, as if they need to earn their way uh, before God. You see, God has repeatedly uh, told them that they're already rescued. He's, he's already saved them. You see, it's like a homeless person who's been welcomed into a, a royal family. You see, they no longer need to live it rough on the street. Instead, they wear royal clothes and have a room fit for a prince. And now that they belong to the royal family, well, there are new ways to live. You see, they don't need to to beg for money anymore to buy food. They just go to the kitchen to grab something to eat. They don't need to carry all their possessions with them everywhere they go. They can store their things in the wardrobe, in their bedroom. And they get to attend special royal functions, balls and dinners. And you see, they don't do these various things to earn their place. They already belong to the royal family, so they do them to show that they belong to the royal family. And you see, it's the same for God's people. God rescued and saved them, and they were to live as God's people. And to do that, well, that was to listen and obey his word. And there was blessings for obedience. And God's people, well, they saw the fruit of it. Uh, uh, after Leviticus, uh, as, as we keep on reading the Old Testament, we see that they entered a land that was flowing with milk and honey. God provided rain and abundance of food and harvest to eat. And after conquering the land that God gave them during the reigns of King David and Solomon, well, they saw great times of peace. You see, there was blessings for obedience. But you see, this word here is is to ancient Israel. The thing is, we aren't ancient Israel. And so what's it mean for us? Well, we, like them, have been saved. We have been redeemed. We've been forgiven through the blood of Christ. And we were rescued first before we were required to do anything. We too have have God's word, which which shows us how to live as God's people. And we too need to listen and obey. What, What does Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? He says, everyone who hears my word, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the waters blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Listen to God, obey his word, put these words into practice, live out these words, and you will be blessed, says the Lord Jesus. But this, of course, doesn't mean that we'll be blessed materially now. You see, this doesn't affirm the heresy of the prosperity gospel. You see, the prosperity gospel says that that God will bless you here and now with everything, with financial and, and physical well-being. You see, it is a heresy because it is contrary, it is against what the New Testament teaches. Not once does it say, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. 
Never does it say that you have enough faith, God will make you rich. You see, the prosperity gospel is a heresy. It is against God's word. And we know this because God uses suffering and, and hardship and sickness, COVID-19 even, to refine our faith. To, to prove the genuineness of our faith, that we really stand with Jesus no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. You see, God doesn't promise to bless us financially or with physical health today. You see, the blessing we receive is that we have been rescued. We no longer face judgment. We are part of God's family. And yet we have this amazing inheritance that is to come, that won't perish, that won't Spoiler won't fade. You see, this is our blessing. We are blessed now because we know the truth and will experience infinite blessings when Jesus returns. But we're not promised that now. We may be blessed materially now. We may be, be wealthy and, and, and healthy. But see, God doesn't promise this now. That, that promise of blessing, well, that is to come. And so whilst we wait for the Lord Jesus to return, we are to live for him. We are to listen and obey God's word because how we live matters. Well, back in uh, Leviticus, uh, if they live in obedience to God and his word, they would be blessed. But if not, well, the flip side would be terrible because there would be discipline for disobedience. Have a look there from verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. You see, God's judgment here isn't just God being fussy, pernickety over the top like I can get. You know, I get really pernickety when it comes to stacking the dishwasher. There's a right way to stack the dishwasher so that you get the most in and the dishes get washed effectively. But really, I'm just being pernickety. I'm, I'm quite fussy. But that's not what God is. It's not like that he's saying to them, well, you haven't followed this specific law perfectly, like plowing your field. Oh, you, you plowed all the way to the edge here. Naughty boy. You see, that is not uh, what is happening here. Notice the language of the text. Verse 14 there, they don't listen. Again, in 18 and 27. Uh, verse 15, they reject and abhor God. That is, they detest, they hate, they loathe God and his word. They're hostile to him in verse 21, 23, 27. You see, God's discipline, his judgment, his punishment of them here isn't for some minor misdemeanor. Uh, uh, it's for an outright rejection of God. They despise and reject God. They've shut their eyes and closed their ears to God's word and they live their own way. And if this is how they will live, well, they will face terrible consequences and this is what he warns them of in the coming verses in verse 14 to 17 he says you will face terror 
wasting disease and fever. It's not going to go well for them. He goes on, they'll face drought and, and poor harvest, verse 18 to 20. Why? Because verse 19, they have a state because of their stubborn pride. In verse 22, we see that wild animals will come against them. You, you, you see, today we have wild animals sorted out. If we want to see animals today, well, we just jump onto a zoo's live stream and we can watch them anytime we want. But when restrictions ease, well, we can go visit a zoo, can't we? But when an animal's on the loose, like this hippopotamus uh, that escaped from a travelling circus in Spain, well, it makes the news. And you'll be glad to know in this case, well, no damage was done. But back in ancient Israel, well, Roman anim- wild animals roamed free. Lions were known to maul people. They, they were a real danger. And so God says, if you reject the Lord, well, these wild animals will be a threat. But he goes on, they'll face war and it'll be so bad. There'll be no food that the only thing they can do is eat their children to survive, verse 29. And if they still will not listen, well, they will be exiled. They'll be booted out, kicked out of the land that God gave them. You see, God warns uh, his people of the dangers of rejecting his good word, of turning their backs on him in disobedience. You see, it really mattered how they lived. God wants to correct them by way of discipline. And I reckon the ESV is really helpful here. It uses the word discipline rather than punishment in, in verses 18 and 28. You see, the Lord wants to correct his people, verse 23. You see, he wants to discipline them so, so that as they turn away, that they will turn away from their evil behavior and come back to the Lord. Just like a loving parent would, would lovingly discipline their child to, to help them grow. You see, we read this ridiculous book at home called uh, The Bad Book. It's full of Everything bad and wrong and plain ridiculous. Uh, Like bad uh, mummy and the very busy six-lane highway. Let me uh, read some of it to you. Mummy, can I run across this very busy six-lane highway with my eyes shut? Well, I don't know. Please? Hmm... Pretty please. All right, but be careful. Yay! Say, ready, set, go. Ready, set, go. Whoops. You see, you understand the ridiculousness of this book now, don't you? No parent would ever let their child do this. A parent lovingly warns their child of the dangers. If you do this, you will die. You see, God lovingly warns his people of the dangers of rejecting him and living contrary to his good life that he desires for them to live because it mattered how they lived. And if they push him away, well, they're on their own and God will discipline them, hoping, desiring that they will come back to him. God lovingly uh, disciplines his people by bringing hardship and, and suffering and curses on them so they will return to him. But you see, God's no, not capricious. 
he's not inconsistent here. You see, he doesn't have like an outburst of anger depending on his mood, which I, which I suffer from. No, no, no. His anger towards them is measured. They are pre-warned. Years before any of this happens, they are pre-warned of this because how they lived mattered. And he warns them in love. But sadly, his warnings, well, they become the reality. They reject and ignore and abandon God. They serve other gods. They thought it didn't matter how they lived because they were God's special people. They could, But they were wrong. They turned their backs on God and so God judged them and they faced hardship and suffering. And God disciplined his beloved children. God can use hardship and suffering as a form of discipline today. But do hear me, he may do this. Not all suffering is a form of uh, discipline. I'm not saying that, but he might be. We, we see an example of this in 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul explains that they're suffering because uh, they sin uh, when they celebrate the Lord's Supper. For those who, uh, have a look here from verse 29. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are sick, uh, are weak and sick, and a number of you have already fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not fully uh, so that we will not be fully condemned with the world. The, pe- the people of Corinth were sinning in their approach to the Lord's Supper, and in God's judgment he inflicted them with sickness and in some cases, death. But but he does this in discipline. You see, he wants them to repent of their sinful ways and come back to the Lord, that they won't be caught up in the final condemnation, in final judgment. You see, God can use hardship and suffering now uh, to judge the way that we live, because how we live matters. God can judge us now so that we'll wake up and turn back to the Lord, wake up from our sinfulness, that he may discipline us and bring us on the right track. But that doesn't mean that all sin will be judged now. And it doesn't mean that all suffering that we're facing now is a form of God's judgment. It doesn't mean that either. You see, we can face terrible hardship and suffering, not because of sin, but because God is trying to prove the genuineness of our faith. He's giving us opportunity to, to be suffering and, and be, go through various trials to refine our faith. You see, not all suffering is the result of sin, but it could be. And so when we're going through a difficult period, it, it's worthwhile stopping and reflecting. Are there are these trials that we're currently that I'm currently going through? Are these a result of my unrepeated sin? It's worth stopping and, and pausing and reflecting and asking yourself these questions, searching deep, even asking God to reveal a hidden sin if it's there. Because who knows? God could be using the suffering we face to discipline us and to bring us to to repentance and faith. God's people in Leviticus were warned that how they lived mattered. 
God warned that if they disobeyed, it wouldn't go well for them. And over time, well, that is what happened. God disciplined his people for their disobedience. Well, let's take a short break, shall we? Uh, And with your noses in the rest of the passage, what do you notice about what God says next? Uh, Welcome back. Uh, We've seen that God blesses uh, his people uh, if they're obedient to him. And he uh, says that if not, well, they will be disciplined for disobedience. But you see, it doesn't end there because there's an offer of repentance for a second chance. Look there at verse uh, 40. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me, which made me hostile towards them, so that I sent them into the land of their enemies. Then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. And if God's people humble themselves and recognize their sin, And if they repent, turn away from uh, living against God and turn back to God, well, they'll get a second chance. God will restore them. And he'll do it because of the covenant, the the promise he made with the patriarchs, land, offspring and blessing. You see, God promises that he will restore them here and that he will live among them once again. You see, the law doesn't punish them just for the sake of punishing, lashing out in anger like we may. No, no, he desires them to be humbled, to be restored. You see, he offers them a second chance so they'll turn back to him in repentance and faith. And, you know, this is what happens. After 70 years of being in exile in in Babylon, he kindly brings them back to his land. He restores them. But here's the thing. Even though they were back in the land, living with with God again, see, nothing had changed. They returned to their rebellious and hostile ways. They rejected God's good word for them. And you see, their problem is actually our problem too. And And it's a matter of the heart. You see, deep down in our hearts, we don't want to serve a holy God, our maker, our creator. We would want to live our own way. We want to be dependent from God, not serve and listen to him. But you see, God knew the problem of the human heart. And so during the exile, whilst they're away in Babylon, God made this wonderful new covenant with them. And it wouldn't be a covenant like the old one in which they had abandoned. You see, in Jeremiah 31, 33, we read this. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God would do something about the heart problem. He'd make it possible for his people to live for him. He'd give them new minds and new hearts so they'd want to live for him. Because how God's people live matters. And so his law and word would be within them. And it's Jesus who makes this possible. You see, when he died on the cross, he took the world's punishment. It's, it's curses on himself. 
but he rose from the dead, defeating death and sin. And he gave us the Holy Spirit, who now lives and dwells within us. That is, those of us with faith. And it is the Holy Spirit who lives within us that he helps us live God's ways. You see, how we live matters. God wants us to live for him. And he gives us the Holy Spirit so we can, helping us obey God's good word. But our obedience isn't what saves us. Like we saw earlier with Israel, we are saved. We were in, when were we saved? We were saved and we were dead. And, and live for, for God now because he has rescued us to be his holy people. And because of that, well, we want to seek to live holy lives. Can you imagine the homeless person from, from earlier? Uh, who, who now belongs to the royal family, how crazy would it be after receiving this wonderful privilege, being part of the royal family, if he returned to the streets, continued to, to live it rough, begging for food, and yet was still wearing the royal clothes? Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? You see, as Christians, we have been rescued, and so how we live matters. You see, we want to live according to God's word, to listen and obey it. And so for some of us, that'll mean we need to start reading God's word. Then we would make time each day to read it, to mark it, to learn from it, to inwardly digest it, that we may seek to understand it and live it out each day. Others, others of us might know the areas we struggle with and need to continue to repent of our pride, our anger, our greed, our, our envy, our arrogance. And while we will struggle with sin, we will continue to struggle with sin until the Lord Jesus returns. But see, we need to be actively turning back to God, continuing to repent, daily be repenting of our sins. You see, our Father in heaven, he loves to forgive us. But you see, the danger for us is if we continue to reject God's word and become hostile and and abhor his word. If we continue to persist in this, well, we are in danger of being condemned with the rest of the world. And if we put on a facade, as if going for church, going to church or giving money to the church or, or wearing a cross around our neck or doing Christian-y type things, that that's our get out of jail free card, and yet every other aspect of our life is in opposition to God, then we need to be careful. Because God hates hypocrites. He actually sees right through it. We may be able to trick others about about the facade we put on, but God sees through it. He knows how clean our cup is on the outside, but how filthy and rotten and dirty it is on the inside. You see, May 26 serves as a warning for us that God doesn't want us to live in opposition to him, but for him instead. You see, God wants the best for his people. And to do that, we need to live according to his word. We must listen and carefully obey him. And God may use discipline and punishment to restore us. But see, he will always welcome us back when we humble ourselves before him, recognize our wrongdoing. He will give us a second chance when we come to him in repentance and faith. Well, let's pray and ask for his help that we may live for him. Let's pray. Almighty 
and everlasting God, we give you great thanks for the book of Leviticus and what it's been teaching us today. That how we live matters. And while things were different for, for Israel back then, in, in having a very present and real experience of, of blessing and, and disobedience, of, of being blessed for being a, for obeying and, and disciplined for disobedience, we do pray that the reality is that we too, as believers who put our trust in the Lord Jesus, are blessed, far more blessed than we could ever imagine. And so in line of that, help us to live our lives in service of you. Help us to love your word, to read it regularly, to, to mark it, to learn it, to be to have it so invibe us that it, that it's that it's naturally how we live each day. Father, we'll struggle with sin, and so help continue to help us, lead us to repentance, to 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 abhor the sin in our lives, and to to turn and to live for you. Help us in that we pray. And may we together encourage one another to, to live for Christ as we wait for his return. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.